Go. We're going to be talking about all things Kansas and solar on this week's Renew Gurus. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and today in Kansas. I'm Executive Director James Owen coming to you live on tape from my undisclosed location here in Columbia, Missouri. Joined on the boards at his undisclosed location in Kansas City, Philip Frasica. Hey, Philip. Hey, how's it going? Well, it's going great. This is a this is a person. I'm really glad we have her on today. Uh, this is one of the first people I met in this job. I think probably the first person I met in this job after anybody I met in Missouri. Uh, some might say uh, we are the uh, we are the Kansas counterparts to the climate and energy project in Kansas. And Dorothy Barnett, their executive director. How are you? Joining us live. <laughs> I'm good, James. Thanks for inviting me. Um, I always enjoy listening to Renew Gurus and happy to be a part of the podcast today. And even though you have been a Renew Guru forever, you are now officially ordained as a Renew Guru from this podcast. So you can put that on your resume. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. My, my children for a decade ago gubbed, dubbed me the wind guru. Hey, so there you I go. can now be the Renew Guru too. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love nothing more than like words that rhyme and puns and that sort of thing. So this is perfect. Um, so Dorothy, uh, kind of let, let's get a little plug in for your group before we start. Um, Climate Energy Project, you, how long have you been the executive director there? So, so the organization was started in 2007 and I took over as executive director in 2011. So it's okay. hard to believe it's been that long ago. Um, the Climate and Energy Project, a nonprofit based in Kansas, uh, we're a virtual organization and we have staff in Topeka and Lawrence and Wichita and Kansas City. Um, we're a, a C3 nonprofit, so any of your donations are certainly appreciated. Um, but we focus really on the equitable decarbonization of our um, energy sector. Uh, we work on renewable energy. We work on energy efficiency. We work at both the Kansas State Legislature as well as the Kansas Corporation Commission. And um, I think you were exactly right when you said, you know, we're the counterpart to Renew Missouri uh, in Missouri. So. Yeah. And uh, so you, yeah, you're in front of the KCC and you, uh, you are represented there. Uh, you're involved with all the, you know, big energy cases that involve renewable energy and energy efficiency. Um, you know, kind of before we dig into some specific stuff, I mean, how would you describe what the state of renewables and efficiency are in Kansas? It's, it's a great question, James. You know, happy to say that um, utility scale wind power um, is been going strong in Kansas um, for, you know, more than a decade. Um, some of the wind farms have been going for nearly 20 years. And so wow. we have um, 41 wind farms in 30 counties across the state. Um, we are edging up on 50% of our generation being from renewable energy. Um, and that's really exciting for an organization who really has focused a lot of our time on expanding um, utility scale renewable energy in the state. Um, in our first decade of work, we really almost exclusively worked on energy efficiency and, and, and utility scale wind. Um, 
we, we, we were very successful with utility scale wind um, and not so successful with energy efficiency. Um, right. And fortunately, we just have not been able to crack that energy efficiency net. Um, despite some legislation passed in 2014 that was really mirrors um, the energy efficiency legislation that Missouri has, Kansas has been unable to get um, energy efficiency programs passed at any kind of scale. Yeah. Um, one good news story on energy efficiency, however, is Midwest Energy, one of the um, larger co-ops in Kansas, serves the western part of the state, actually has the longest running um, on-bill financing program um, called House Smart, yeah. and, and they've served thousands of their Midwest Energy customers, um, helping them to uh, pay for energy efficiency projects on their energy bills, um, mm -hmm. something that I think there's great potential for in Kansas. Oh, very much so. Yeah, you you all, we've talked a little bit about this in this podcast. We have Mia here, the Missouri Energy Efficiency Investment Act. There is a Kia, a Kansas Energy Efficiency Investment Act, but it seems like regulators, which I mean, I found that regulators are really skeptical over here in Missouri, and it seems like they have been a real roadblock over there in Kansas. Is that safe to say? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things happening in Kansas. I think one, um, I think the previous commission, um, actually, I would have called them a roadblock. Um, I, I am seeing a lot of progress with our current commission. So I think there's a lot of opportunities moving forward with our new commissioners. I think one of the greatest problems that we have actually is um, some of the Kansas Corporation Commission staff and their reliance on um, some of the uh, cost-effectiveness testing that's fairly antiquated. Um, Kansas still uses the RIM test, ratepayer impact measure, um, as one of the standards. And as you all know, um, it's very difficult to get energy efficiency programs to pass the RIM test. Right. Um, so we've been advocating for quite a while with the staff and with the commission um, to go, undergo a new process, um, one that I'm sure your folks have talked about, the National Standard Practice Manual, um, mm -hmm. where we could do a Kansas version of, um, a, a, of, a, of a cost effectiveness testing. Mm -hmm. um, and we think that would make a big difference. Um, we're hopeful that in the coming months, we'll be able to sit down with uh, both the KCC staff and with our largest investor in utility, Evergy, um, to try to figure a way that we can move forward with um, some energy efficiency filings at the KCC in 2021. Evergy, the new utility, because it used to be back in the old days, my old, old guy boys. We used to have KCPNL here in Missouri, <laughs> and we had KCPNL in certain parts of Kansas, mainly in the metro area for, uh, for Kansas City. And then you had Westar, which is based out of Topeka, which covered a lot of eastern Kansas. And then a couple of years ago, we had there's a couple of efforts at this. They merged, became one company, Evergy, which now finally, I think I've finally gotten my Microsoft Word to not correct that to Energy. I, I, I wish I could, you could tell me how to do that because it I still tries to correct mine every time. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> uh, um, but it, yeah, so we have Evergy now, which is now like in theory supposed to be like the same utility, but because they are in different states, they are governed by different laws. They're governed by different rules and regulations. They're governed by different uh, commissioners. And um, 
one of the things that we've watched with a great deal of, of kind of helpless distress from the Missouri side is the challenges you all have had with Evergy's uh, assault on distributive solar, on solar customers. Um, this, you know, I don't even know like how long that's been going on. I mean, I, I kind of want to like dig into that a little bit. I mean, you all in Kansas have, or had, maybe I should say, there are laws that allowed for, for lack of a better word, some discriminatory pricing practices against certain types of customers. You know, absolutely. There are some laws that can be interpreted that way on the books right. now, but prior to 2014, that was not the case. Mm. Um, so we've actually been fighting about rooftop solar and um, mm. distributed generation, small wind even since 2014, when um, the utilities tried to kill net metering in Kansas. Um, in that 2014 legislative session, um, while we were working hand in hand with Evergy to get the Kia legislation passed that you mentioned, right. um, we were also on opposite sides of an effort to get rid of net metering. Um, we ended up settling with the utilities to keep net metering in place, but the rules that we um, that the law were changed to were um, not beneficial for customers in the long run and really not beneficial to the industry in the long run. Um, we went from annual net metering uh, true up to monthly true up for net metering. Um, you know, by and large, um, the solar industry has adapted to that monthly true up. Um, we also reduced the size of solar arrays um, to smaller size limits. But the biggest mistake was um, allowing them to strip out the language that you could charge a customer differently who had solar. And that really kicked off um, five, almost six years of um, opposition around, around rooftop solar and, and you know, trying to um, stop that assault as you, as you mentioned. So you mentioned uh, the size of solar arrays over there. What is, I mean, right now, currently as it stands in the law, how, how big can a solar array be uh, for a Kansas customer? I'm sorry, I'm getting some music background. Hold on just a minute. It might be my mariachi band I have back here. No, I'm just... Um, it is your mariachi band, I think. Let me see. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I've got anything. Can you hear that as well? I don't hear it. Okay. I'm not hearing anything Philip, either. Are you jamming? Philip, do you hear it? Nope. nope. <laughs> I do not. Sorry. Oh, it stopped now. Okay. Okay. I don't know if we can pick up where we left off. Uh, okay. So I think I was asking about the size of solar arrays for customers in, uh, in Kansas. So, so today, um, if you are a residential customer, you can do a 15 uh, KW system and a commercial customer can do 100 at KW right. but if you are a school or a church you can do up to 150 KW mm -hmm. and those were down from 25 for residential and 200 for commercial okay so yeah, yeah. and you talked about the true up I mean we have monthly true up in Missouri and it's not great uh, and can you kind of explain the difference I mean between why uh, an annual true up is better than a monthly true up 
Sure, sure. So, you know, there are months during the year when you don't use a whole lot of electricity and you are able to bank your solar credits mm -hmm. um, basically throughout the year to help with the times when you're using a lot of energy um, and maybe not producing as much solar power. Um, and so a lot of times people can basically net, um, come out net positive with an annual true up. They don't have to pay as much to the utility for their, for their electricity use because they're able to bank some extra solar. Um, unfortunately, uh, with the monthly true up, that's, that's just not always the case. Um, you almost always, at least in Kansas, the arrays are sized um, so that there's not very many people who end up with a zero electricity bill at the end right. of the month. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think that's really the difference is it's less money, less profit for the homeowner who invests in solar um, and more money into the utilities pocket when you're talking about um, monthly true up. Yeah, certainly something we'd like to fix here in Missouri, mm -hmm. but uh, opening up the net metering statute is always perilous. It's scary. <laughs> if you can avoid it, don't do it. Yeah. That's my best. That's yeah. my best recommendation. Yeah, because yeah, because like, the other thing that you mentioned that, that kind of resulted out of this 2014 um, effort or like kind of way to resolve that issue was you have now or had this um, charge that utilities could assess on solar customers. Now, um, it's always hard to it's always hard to kind of dig into this. I mean, basically, the idea is what utility companies argue is, oh my gosh, solar panels and solar customers and having a solar array on your house hooked into your grid is so expensive for us. We have to have power go to your house and away from your house, and it's just too expensive. It's just killing our grid. Well, and it's not it, just that it's so expensive; it's also being paid for. By everybody else, yeah. Right? That's the other. That's the other argument. Um, yeah, which I mean, by the way, I mean there was just a study. I mean, we're going to get into why all of that is baloney anyway. But there was just a study done by the Michigan Institute of Technology that, like, was quite the opposite. Was that solar customers were subsidizing non-solar customers because they were, you know, kind of easing stress off the grid by producing it. Well, and not just, I haven't read that study, so definitely send it to me, but sure. even in Kansas, um, you may recall that we had a couple of rate studies um, mandated by the legislature over the last couple of years. The most recent one by a company called AECOM, A-E-C-O-M, came out in July of last year. Uh, and there's actually a section in there where it says that uh, distributed generation customers are actually subsidizing the other customers right. um, based on Kansas data. And even with the small amount of solar that we have here in the state, that, that they're actually the ones subsidizing other uh, rate payers. Right. So we've got some, got a ways to go though, to, to, to talk that through, I think with the commission. Sure. And then on the other argument that like, Oh my gosh, it's so expensive to deal with this. I mean, the, the reality is, I mean, you in your state, me in my state, we have, I mean, to begin, there are fixed costs associated with every electricity bill that's supposed to cover the cost to deliver power to every customer, which should factor in that sort of thing. But then they always say they don't do that because they're trying to help grandma down the street or whatever. They're, because they're, you know, 
they they're really worried about grandma down the street, aren't they? <laughs> well, you know, we we know in this last go around, and I know we'll get to that. But one of the yeah. things that the utility said was, we need seventy seven dollars a month just to cover our cost. Yeah. And you know that's a ridiculous amount of money. You know, you need seventy seven dollars a month from every customer, no matter how much energy they use. Um, then we need a new model. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. So I mean, those are I mean, like you know, I think you know, you and I could probably recite those arguments in our sleep um, from them. And and you know, so ultimately, what what they were allowed to do under this law was assess a charge specifically against solar customers, but like with Evergy, okay, just like over here with Evergy, Ameren, Liberty, which by the way, Liberty also uh, provides some uh, service territory in Kansas. Uh, they have to get all this stuff approved by, I mean, in there over the KCC. So they got to submit this. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the problem we've got over here, and I know you've got cooperatives over there, uh, you know, the cooperatives are pushing it in Missouri because they don't have to do that. They can just set whatever they want in theory. Um, so what was, I mean, so like, okay, so when did the first, when did Kansas first see Evergy make this attempt to, uh, specifically target solar customers with their own fee? So, so the, so the law was passed in 2014, went into effect in July of 2014 to allow them to make these changes. And it was early 2015 when they filed their, uh, rate case. Mm -hmm. And in that rate case, they asked for, um, I believe it was $50 a month from solar customers um, because they were um, being, you know, using the grid in a different way um, right. and that they were being subsidized by all the other customers. Now, note that today in Kansas, in Evergy's territory, we have less than 1,500 residential and commercial net metered systems. Mm ridiculously low number by right. comparison to Missouri and, and by comparison to other states. So, so think about in 2015, I think the number was less than 500. Mm -hmm. So less than 500 customers, but, but they wanted to, uh, we had to nip this in the bud before it got, got too, too robust, before it was just everybody had solar, was right. the argument at the commission. Now, I have to say the commission said no, Mm -hmm. We're not going to give you $50 a month. And in fact, they said, um, this issue of solar needs to be talked about in a different docket. Mm. So they pulled that piece out of the rate case. Mm -hmm. And they, a year later, finally, in 2016, opened an investigative docket mm -hmm. where they asked stakeholders, how should we do this investigative docket? What yeah. should we be looking for? Um, and we, uh, Climate and Energy Project, intervened um, along with um, some solar companies. And we gave some very um, big ideas about bringing in experts, learning from what other states had done, right. um, um, you know, having some conversation to get to um, some compromise positions at that point, you know, how can we make this work for everybody? And Weststar at the time, because they weren't Evergy then, came right. to the table and said, we want demand charges. Mm. And there, were, there was no discussion <laughs> around the table. There were no workshops. There were really no other 
um, discussions about how we should address this growing, growing solar industry. Yeah. So um, that docket lasted, you know, close to a year yeah. um, with us continuing to raise our hand saying, you know, shouldn't we be looking at other alternatives? Mm-hmm. Are there other things we could be doing? What are other states doing? Right. Um, but ultimately the commission came down and said, you know, if the utility wants to, they can file a demand charge. They can also file minimum bill. They can file a time of use rate um, or something else. You know, there are other things. But right. ultimately at that point, the commission said, and you know, we believe that because all, all other customers are subsidizing solar customers. Wow. Um, and so with their next rate case, then... Weststar said at that point they were Evergy, but it was filing under Evergy Central. Said um, we're gonna we're gonna file a demand charge. Right. So the the investigatory the, the docket really didn't result in anything other than the KCC saying like we well, can do all this stuff if you want. Right. <laughs> but you can also still do this thing that we had a problem with to begin with. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Because I mean, I, I'll tell you, Dorothy. One of the things that came up, we were testifying on this bill a couple of weeks ago in the Senate. No, it was in the House. And the co-op said, like, oh, we could do time of use rates, but we just don't have any advanced meters out there in the rural parts of the state. I mean, I mean, I guess I, you know, I guess you and I have never really talked about that. I mean, you know, time of use is very dependent on having this advanced meter technology. How, and then this is a little bit of a segue, but how is Kansas doing as far as having AMI out there? Is it? We have, we have robust AMI. Um, I believe all of Evergy's territory now has AMI. Um, Some of the larger co-ops, I I believe Midwest Energy is one, has AMI technology. Um, Yeah, we, we have, um, we have robust implementation of, of advanced metering. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I mean, what do, you, and what do you think about that idea that like somehow time of use could be uh, designed to help address or at least kind of get to the root cause of, of, of how solar really affects things? I mean, do you think that would be something agreeable or what do you think about that? Yeah. So, so I only kind of told part of the story, um, yeah. you know, long story short, um, after the demand charges went into effect, we actually got a piece of legislation moving um, that would not have allowed demand charges on customers. And we had a lot of grassroots support, a lot of legislative support. And um, ultimately, there was a bill that the now president of the Senate, then Senate Utilities Chair, said to Evergy and to um, stakeholders, CEP and others, you know, you need to figure this out. You need to get in a room and figure this out. And so we uh, were able to negotiate grandfathering of, um, for some customers for the uh, demand charges to get them not to have to pay it, people who had already made investments. But the other piece of that compromise was a willingness to sit down with stakeholders and try to come up with a different solution. And so we actually spent six months, um, two years ago, um, around the table with Evergy and with CURB, uh, Vote Solar, CEP, some of our Clean Energy Business Council members. And and we suggested a time of use rate. 
And, yeah. and we were willing to, to come up with something that we felt like could still allow the solar industry to grow, mm-hmm. um, but that would um, give a financial benefit to solar users who were um, producing solar at the time when the utility needed it the most. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't come to we couldn't come to an agreement on the do- on what those amounts were. Um, oh, really? And ultimately, um, Evergy said, "You know, I don't think we can come up with a solution here on this." And so, so we never got to a place where we could agree between the solar industry and the utilities what would be a fair compensation. Yeah. For for that time of use solar. Yeah. Um, because if you think about it, you know. If you're producing solar during the critical peak time, shouldn't that solar power be more valuable than if you're producing it at a time when they don't really need it? Right, yeah. I mean, I, I think it makes sense. I mean, I think if you've got that technology, you have it deployed, yeah, we're, I mean, I mean, we have offered that to say like, we think that would work if you have the technology out there. Um, and Colorado does it. I mean, I mean that's part of Colorado um, is, is beginning to roll out um, time of use pricing. Um, as, and, and a lot of states are using it kind of as a, as a net metering 2.0 um, as they get more and more penetration of solar is right. how can we, again, you know, how, how can we ensure that solar can be added value um, I was just listening to uh, an NREL, National Renewable Energy Lab, uh, webcast yesterday, where they were talking about the locational value of distributed generation. Mm-hmm. And they've done some research where um, there are, you know, financial benefits to the utilities and to the grid if the, um, you, if the solar um, is put in certain places. Um, identified by the utility. And, you know, I, I think I could speak for our Clean Energy Business Council members who are solar um, companies who would say, yes, tell us where, you know, you know, we will go where you tell us you need more solar. Right. Um, so I think, I think it's possible to find solutions um, yeah. if people are willing to, to, to look at it differently than, than what we are right now. Yeah. Um, what I've found is when they get when the utilities get this idea in their head that we just want to charge solar customers extra, that is just the easiest option for them. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so to finish out the story, James, um, you know, we couldn't find a solution, but in the meantime, while we were negotiating with Evergy, um, our good friends at Vote Solar and Earth Justice, representing the Sierra Club, were actually taking um, the case, the demand charge case uh, to the appeals court um, Mm -hmm. where they lost and the appeals court upheld the commission's ruling, but then they they took it to the Kansas Supreme Court um, and the Supreme Court said, you know, you can't charge solar customers a discriminatory charge. Right. Um, Yeah, because eventually the KCC said they could. They did do a charge. How much was that? that They said that they could set that for. So it was $9 per kilowatt per month in the summer months, May to September. 
and it was three dollars per kilowatt per month um in october through april yeah it was bad yeah it was i mean there were some people that were their bill increased to a hundred dollars a month um or increased by a hundred dollars a month um uh, that have larger systems. And, you know, the, the, the bad thing, the thing that is so tricky about, about a demand charge is yeah. people don't know how to control it. Um, you know, we talked a lot about, um, we heard from a lot of people who had solar, who, you know, had made investments based on one set of rules mm-hmm. and then their bill changed. We heard from people who were not having dinner until after seven o'clock every night. We heard from school teachers who used to go home in the afternoons and bake cookies for their classes to take the next day to school who who weren't doing that anymore because they lived in an an all electric house. And, um, you know, the demand charges were um, based on a certain time of day um, where it's really hard, you know, to keep demand down, you know, people coming home from school and, you know, turning on televisions and popping popcorn or, you know, putting on video games or throwing in a load of laundry. And suddenly, you know, you're at a spike of 10, 12, 15 kilowatts of demand for that one day that is what you're charged on. Um, And so, you know, that was the part that was hard, you know, not only was it discriminatory charge, but it was really hard for people to figure out how to control their demand. Um, Yeah, because, you know, I've heard because Amron, Missouri came in asking kind of for demand charges. And it just literally, I mean, one, I think it is it is very problematic for low income customers uh, residential customers. But it also, yeah, I don't think there's any signals that really help people understand it. And that's the problem. And I think they, they had the same expert witness come in that I think Evergy had for your case. Dr. Which is, Faruqi. <laughs> yeah, when I saw that the commission was meeting with him because one of them tweeted about it, I recognized that name and called somebody on my staff and said, is this who I think it is? And like, we knew this was coming. Right. Um, so yeah, so okay, so you get that decision. It's a bad decision by the KCC. You take it to the Kansas Court of Appeals. They uphold it. Right. But then, you know, in Kansas, what I always think is funny is that the Court of Appeals and the Supreme Court are in the same building. So you literally just go down the hallway and you don't like a decision of the Court of Appeals, you file it at the Supreme Court. Then the Supreme Court. Yeah, they said it's grew. discriminatory. Yeah, yeah, you can't you can't charge <laughs> it. And they kicked it back to the KCC. Right. And I mean, keep in mind, and I've, 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 I've emphasized this when I've testified that the decision written by the Supreme Court in Kansas was pinned by a Sam Brownback appointee, which is not like Absolutely. some greenie. Although I should say Sam Brownback did call Kansas to Saudi Arabia of wind once. Uh, so he does understand the importance of this stuff to the state, uh, but not a, not, a, not a wilting liberal by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and, and so, so the Supreme Court ruled this and yeah, basically said, look, I mean, they, so essentially they said, this is contrary to the state constitution and that, you know, you're basically applying, you know, these kind of, you know, you're kind of putting a, a people in a position where they're um, have to buy this from a certain customer, uh, from a certain, uh, you know, from a certain market, from a certain um, utility. And you're basically just, you know, giving them no options. There's like kind of a due process violation there. 
if I yeah, recall. So, yeah. yeah, so so yes, the due process, but also, you know, they went back to the original um, statute that said you, you can't, um, you can't discriminate um, against customers. You know, the, the utility and the KCC staff tried to make the case that, no, it was superseded by the statute that was passed in 2014. And, and, the, and the, the Supreme Court did not accept that. Um, right. We went to Topeka for the Supreme Court hearing. I don't know, do you call it a hearing? I don't know if you call it a it's hearing. A, yeah, it's a hearing. Yeah. But we but we went for that. And I was so impressed by, you know, the depth of understanding that the Supreme Court justices had um, of the issue. Right. They they just they just got it. They just understood it from, from every standpoint in a way that I thought was very impressive. Um, yeah. As a former law clerk for the Court of Appeals in Missouri, I can say uh, there's a lot of, I mean, those judges are really smart, but they've also got clerks. I mean, I, I would sometimes write opinions uh, for and against just so the judge could look at both angles of it. Uh, so, I mean, they do try to prepare a lot for those oral arguments and try to get it prepared for those topics. And I know in Missouri, certainly the Western District in uh, Kansas City hates these cases because they are so technically precise and they are so detailed but you know it's important this is big stuff and yeah the supreme court i think you know to me showed they were very invested in really examining this i mean they went all the way back i remember they were quoting purple right right, right. <laughs> yes they they did a they did a great job and for and for us it was particularly exciting one of our board members um, they actually referred to a, um, a research paper she had written on, on a oh. similar topic, which was super exciting to see that. And I couldn't tell you which one it was now, but <laughs> if you wanted to look for it, her name is Uma Outka. Um, she's a professor of law at KU. KU, uh, who um, I've talked to, because she's yeah. really, because uh, I'm a KU law alum. And, um, and you know, I, I, I learned that she had done some work. I've talked to her and I've been trying to uh, meet her. I just, uh, I think we were going to try to meet and then, well, all of this pandemic stuff happened. So I, I hope to get over there someday to meet with her. She's, uh, yeah, she's she, terrific. She's got some great research. She's really good on this stuff. You're very lucky to have her on your board. Yep. yep. Certainly. Yep. Um, probably makes you look pretty good that those that the judge <laughs> I, talking about <laughs> I was pretty excited when I saw her name as I was reading through that um, yeah. that decision there's no doubt about that yeah no so doubt one thing that. that yeah something that surprises people is yeah when the Supreme Court rules on something it's not just like oh it's over they say oh we're going to remand this back to the Kansas Corporation Commission right so as as a, a lawyer would ask the question so then what happened? <laughs> sure, sure. So, so um, Sierra Club uh, and with Earth Justice representing them, Vote Solar and the Climate Energy Project um, all joined together um, yeah. to intervene in the case. Um, and I thought we made um, very, very, well, obviously they ruled in our favor. So we made really good legal arguments for why um, they needed to um, follow our advice. Interestingly enough, it took quite a few months um, from when the when the um, Supreme Court ruled to actually open a case. But mm. in the long run, I think that worked to our advantage because we had a couple of new commissioners who mm. yeah. um, um, 
seem to have a different mindset than some of the old commissioners, I guess I would say, more open, more interested in transparency. So that was exciting. Um, But ultimately the way that the docket played out was Evergy um, was able to put forward their idea of how to solve this issue. Mm. And in addition to having Evergy, the commission um, required all of the utilities to engage in this docket. So that piece was a little strange because, you know, essentially these were utilities who aren't regulated, like the co-ops and and some of the munis who aren't regulated by the commission, but they were required to weigh in on, um, you know, what we were going to do next regarding Mm -hmm. distributed generation. But ultimately, Evergy asked for two things. Um, First, they wanted to, instead of a demand charge, add a $3 per watt grid access fee, Mm. which we and nearly every other intervener, including the staff and curb said is just a demand charge by another name. Right. (laughs) Um, Even though their argument was, well, if you don't have solar, your grid access fee will be zero. Hmm. Well, I think. But <laughs> if 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 the commission didn't like that, then instead they wanted a thirty-five dollar minimum bill from every residential customer, whether you had solar or not. Yeah. And that raised a ton of red flags for CEP and for others, especially those who are concerned about energy justice and the energy burden. Um, their own data showed that um, of all of their customers, there were going to be, uh, I think the number was almost, mm, it was over 100,000 of their customers, and I can't remember the exact number now, but a large number of their customers um, make under $25,000 a year. Wow. And those customers were also going to be subjected to this $35 minimum bill. Um, in the hearing, you know, they said, well, if, um, they can ask for a waiver, you know, Mm -hmm. if they can prove that they can't afford it, they can ask for a waiver again, you know, how that minimum bill connects to solar. Um, we didn't think it was appropriate. Um, we fought that. And ultimately the commission said, you know, the grid access fee is just like a demand charge. So now you can't have that. And we don't think that um, adding 35, you know, having a $35 minimum bill for every um, residential customer is, is a fair way to, to do this. And that's where in that information and in that docket, you know, Evergy basically said, well, we need $77 a month from every person, but we'll take 35. Um, so, so it was, it was um, an interesting case. Um, I am excited to say that we drove over a thousand public comments wow. um, opposed to, to yeah. either the minimum bill or the DG charge. Um, people were really invested in this and wow. they understood the impacts. Um, and when you think about over a thousand public comments and you heard me say earlier, you know, there are less than 1500 net metered systems across all of Evergy's territory. So those weren't just people with solar, 
Right. Um, you know, it was, you know, community activists who were concerned about high energy bills. It was, you know, uh, people on fixed incomes. It was uh, people who care about the environment. I mean, it was just a lot of um, people who engaged in that, in that docket. Well, and I think it, it shows that the effectiveness of, of groups like yours, and I, and I certainly know, you know, I, I look to a lot of like how you engage with your supporters over there, that, you know, people have a lot more control over their, their energy than I think they realize initially. And it takes a lot of work to convince them. Because usually you walk into a room, turn on a light, it works. Uh, you get your bill, you complain about the size of your bill. And that's kind of the extent of people think about what we work on. But there is so much more that they have control over that. And I think that's important to, it shows you have a thousand people willing to take time to say like, this is not fair, this is not right. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think that um, there's a lot of work to do. Um, but I like to think that over the years, we have helped people have a better understanding yeah. um, of the complicated process. Um, and I do think that as we begin to experience more severe weather, um, as we begin to deal with you know, more emerging crises around climate change, yeah. you know, people are gonna need to know more and they're gonna need yeah. to be more engaged. Um, because, absolutely. Because we just, we just did a, we just did a podcast on this that came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but you know, when, whenever the cold snap hit in mid February and went on for over a week, which hit you all as much as it hit us and people all of a sudden were like energy markets, who's telling Evergy to like do blackouts, right? <laughs> this SPP. Um, you know, I, I, I'm from Spring, I'm from the Springfield area where, you know, there's not a whole lot of coverage down there on utility issues because they have a municipal utility there. Mm -hmm. So when they started hearing about this, this, this market that was telling right. their utility what to do, I mean, there was like legitimate anger and panic because they had no idea what that was. Right. I'm sure you heard some of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think one of the things that, um, the recognition for us was that we need to do a better job of helping people understand how these things work. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, not just um, kind of in the abstract, uh, but, it, and it's not just regular people. Um, I can't tell you how many public officials I heard yeah. from lots of different spaces, you know, at the state level, at the local level, at the national level saying, well, we need a national grid. You know, if we just would have a, why, why isn't Texas a part of the national grid? Well, yeah. gee guys, we don't have a national grid. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's why Texas isn't a part of it. And so, you know, some basic information about um, the, 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 electricity grid, I think is really important. And yeah, um, one of the things that we're gonna try to do better at is helping people understand this complicated issue. Um, and, and I would say, James, you know, you all do that for Missourians. Do you call yourselves Missourians? I call us Missourians. <laughs> uh, I don't, I'm, even though I'm from the part of the state that's supposed to say Missouri, I always say Missouri. 
Oh, okay. So I don't say okay. McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think you know, I think that I think that that folks in your neck of the woods are are fortunate to have Renew Missouri be able to to help shine a light on these issues. Um, it's a well. lot of work, as you know, uh, and we're it is just and it is it is it is nonstop because I think with our with the world that we work in, it is especially now so it evolves so much so quickly even though utilities themselves are very large and very like you know they're almost like ocean liners they can't just turn on a dime but there's so much that's of impacting like the technology like what you and i talk about like with solar and storage and you know you talk about like small scale wind which we don't have a whole lot of here in missouri or we don't really look at that but that's something i don't know much about even though it's just in the neighboring state yeah uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think I think that there is. I think we are in. Uh, you know, I've, so I've been I've been working with the Climate and Energy Project almost since they started. So fourteen years in yeah. to this, um, to this work, and it feels like the last two years mm-hmm. have just like everything has just moving faster and faster and faster. Yeah. Um, I never thought I would see the day when Evergy would be focusing on a sustainability transformation plan. That's right. That's and right. Um, and talking about um, the need to decarbonize that that investors and insurance companies are talking about climate risk. Yeah. I mean. You know, my, yeah, my wife is an insurance. She's an executive for an insurance company. They talk about it, not like we do, but they talk about it yeah. and they know it's a problem. It's a huge problem for them. Right, right. And so, and so it just feels like it's accelerating. And I feel like we are in this space where we have an opportunity to frame how the transition is going to happen mm-hmm. in the Midwest. Yeah. Um, I think I think we have an opportunity to bring new voices into this conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, people who are being impacted by fossil fuel generation, um, people who are being, you know, whose health is being impacted, um, whose property values are being impacted. Yeah. You know, I think I think we have we have a, an opportunity, um, but it's going to take everybody kind of rowing in the same direction oh, to yeah. get there. Oh yeah. Cause I mean, I think it's all, yeah, I think you talk about new voices. I mean, I think we need to talk about like how we, what we do with renewable energy and energy efficiency can be a, a piece of a, of solving a larger puzzle that deals with, you know, energy burdens, poverty, uh, inequities in certain communities in Missouri and Kansas, because, you know, it's not, and it's not just in the Metro areas. I mean, like, you know, inequities, I mean, you and I, no small towns in this in this area and it's just as bad there and if not worse in small towns right right yeah i i I just got a hold of um the missouri um resiliency roadmap and i spent a few hours um reading it on my way home from tulsa while my husband was driving me um, that's some great work. Um, and I think it's important to think about how can Kansas learn from that effort. Um, and I know that you all were, 
we're partners in that. So sure. maybe that's another conversation for another day. But I, I think that um, rural Kansas, like rural Missouri, um, is looking for ways to be more resilient. Um, and I think that, that energy efficiency and um, renewable energy, um, you know, better building stock, um, all of those things can can help um, yeah. can help those communities. Yeah. I think that reminds me, I probably didn't have Cheryl and Kelly on this podcast because she's the one who spearheaded uh, the roadmap to resilience uh, for division of energy. And she's just, uh, she's a crackerjack. She's really good at that stuff. And she knows that uh, topic inside and out. Um, so I'm glad that's going to be useful. Yeah, I think, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's some real value. You know, the other thing we didn't talk about was the state energy plan bill, um, right. which unfortunately um, never got moving past committee, passed, passed yeah. out of committee, but never, the house never took it up. And um, while we supported that bill, um, you know, we, we had some concerns about the makeup of, of mm. the committee um, and the timeline, you know, as I said, everything's accelerating. We can't wait for two more years to start getting on the stick and, and planning for our energy future. Oh yeah. Um, well, yeah, we've got all, because I know we just, I just had a, I was having a pretty much all day until I started recording podcasts. I've been talking about securitization, another concept you guys are working on over there. Right. Right. Uh, uh you know, you all have Kia that you're trying to fix over there. Um, you know, we were just in a session, uh, we were just in hearings today talking about pro prohibiting uh, HOAs from barring solar for uh, solar arrays. I saw that. Congratulations. Did that, yeah. did that get a positive, get a positive um, response? Yeah, it, I think it went really well with the committee. Uh, we had some really good speakers who have been personally impacted by it. So it wasn't just me and other lobbyists talking about it. It was like real homeowners who have like really gone through the ringer with their homeowner associations. I think that'll get a positive vote out of that committee. We have a spring break next week. Well, I should, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going back in time. When we record this, we'll have a spring break. <laughs> and uh, we, I think that by the time this uh, airs, that we'll have a uh, vote on that out of committee there. So Good. I just, I just ruined the magic of our podcast. Cause I just, uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, and I, and I, and I didn't even get to talk to you. I just read an article in the Kansas city star about the investigation the legislature is wanting to do about, um, how some customers in Kansas are, or how, how some customers in Evergy are getting refunds back and some are paying extra money. And, you know, I could do a whole podcast on this because it's fascinating to me, that whole issue that even though Evergy is one company, even in Missouri, when they acquired a company in Missouri, we still have different rate designs in different parts of Evergy's service territory. And we still have separate cases, separate rates, and now that's compounded by the fact that now we have separate rates in the same utility in Kansas. Yeah, I, I have not had a chance to dig deep enough into, you know, the $60 million windfall yeah. for, for the um, Evergy customers in the Evergy Metro yeah. and the $100 million um, extra charges for the Evergy Central customers. Um, yeah. I'm glad that the commission is going to be examining that. Yeah. I think that's very important. 
Um, and, and, you know, I think that if they're one company and one of the pitches that they made was that there were going to be all of these cost savings by yeah. being one company, yeah. this is the place that those cost savings should be for all customers. Yeah. Um, and, and we should share the financial burden equally. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I wonder about, and I don't know how this is going to be impacted, you know, in Kansas for the, for the um, municipal utilities, and I believe the co-ops too, if they were impacted, the Kansas legislature came together and very quickly passed a bill to provide $100 million in loans for cities to be oh. able to pay their gas bill. Oh, um, really? it literally came together. I want to say in less than 48 hours, it passed oh. both houses, passed the, and the governor signed it into a law. Um, and so if, um, if we can do that, <laughs> we know we can work together when we need to, right. but I'm curious, you know, if the fed federal government's going to get involved and if there will be any kind of loan forgiveness or any kind of forgiveness for the investor owned utilities. Mm, um, right. Because, you know, FERC is opening, has opened um, a case on the weather event. Mm. Um, NERC is also exploring it, uh, Federal right. Energy Regulatory Commission and NERC National Energy Reliability Coordinating yeah. Council. Maybe. And I know Philip and I are talking, working on, you know, uh, kind of with co-ops on their on their coal plant uh, debt that's backed by the feds. We've been working on that for a while. Um, Philip, you and I should talk to Dorothy offline about some of that stuff we're doing on that because we've mainly been working with people in Montana, Minnesota, Kentucky, but I think there might be some benefit there in Kansas too that maybe we can talk about. Yeah, definitely, especially with uh, the House Smart program, and that's something that we've pointed to and how you know, money could be used and repurposed uh, for some bailout funds. Yeah, as I well, just, yeah. And, and so just as an FYI, with the securitization, um, mm -hmm. we understand now that the gas companies are, are supporting um, the securitization bill in Kansas oh, um, because they want to be able to utilize securitizing um, some of the debt from yep. the extreme weather event in February. So. Yeah. So we think that bill has a good shot of uh, passing this year. Um, I, I actually, CEP was actually neutral on that bill. Um, even though we had been proponents of the previous two versions. Um, I, I, I'm concerned that it's, we're gonna see an attempt by utilities to retire coal in favor of gas. Um, uh, yeah. And, there isn't anything in the securitization bill that stops that. Yeah. And true. so that's, that's concerning. Um, um, but, you know, my hope is that we will have a commission who is forward thinking and will recognize that if you're really going to focus on the lowest cost resource, mm. gas is not going to be the lowest cost resource. And, and especially with the variability in fuel cost. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's volatile as we've learned. Absolutely. Well, I think you and I knew that, but I think everyone else has learned it. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I could I could literally talk to you for hours on it. This has been great. Um, I think we could talk about all these other things that we have to work on in the in our state. Uh, but I guess as far as like supporting you, kind of talk to uh, our listeners about how they can um, support your group and your efforts over there in Kansas, Dorothy. Sure, sure. Well, um, as I mentioned, we're a nonprofit, so your donations are tax deductible. Um, you can visit our website. We're just rolling out a new website. Um, it's climateandenergy.org, climateandenergy.org. You know, we have some really interesting um, opportunities for folks to engage in leadership. Uh, we have a program called the Kansas Environmental Leadership Program, and that program provides free leadership training um, through the Kansas Leadership Center uh, based in Wichita. And right now with the pandemic, um, all the classes are online. Um, and so you can send an email to takeaction at climateandenergy.org. Um, and, and we can get you signed up for the Kansas Environmental Leadership Program. We also are spending a lot of time on a program that we call uh, Climate and Energy Voters Take Action. Um, and so we have opportunities for folks to be ambassadors um, to talk about um, the importance of voting and getting your family members and your friends engaged in the things that you care about as it relates to climate and energy. And so we have an ambassador program with that. Um, so uh, love to We'll have folks engage with us. Um, you can reach out on our website and support our work on our website. Um, and certainly, you know, ask any energy questions you have. It helps us figure out what we need to be talking about. Right, right. Dorothy, you've said it all. I thank you so much for being on here. Uh, yeah, and I hope to have you on soon again. I'm sure there will have lots of reasons to do so. Um, and I want to thank all of you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to us on all major uh, podcast platforms, leave a review, share this on your social media platforms. I certainly know we will be sharing this on our social media platforms because I want to highlight the work that both states are doing. Um, and um, with that, this is the Renew Gurus, Dorothy and I and Philip signing off. Thanks, Jeff.